0: Welcome to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Welcome back for another exciting episode. This week we are going to be discussing the Panama Canal, which um, had a huge influence on early American history in the early 20th century. Um, so first, let's just start with the basics on the canal and then We'll get into the history and the building of it in the next segment. So, for just the basics, the United States is a nation that was successful that was responsible for successfully completing the Panama Canal. Panama is a country in Central America, and by putting a canal through there, you're able to get your ships from the Atlantic Pacific without having to go around South America. So, the United States was interested in doing this because they could get their Naval ships and trade ships from the east to west coast. Before the canal, it was about a fourteen thousand mile trip. After the completion of the canal, when it opened in nineteen fourteen, that fourteen thousand mile trip was cut down to about six thousand nautical miles. So it made it much faster, cheaper, and efficient to transport ships and goods for trade and for defense purposes in the United States. Okay. The person most responsible for the canal was the 26th president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. In fact, for years, they called it Roosevelt's Canal, even though it was in Panama, because he was the main person advocating for the building of the canal in the United States and in other parts of the world as well. So the United States started construction on the canal, and it was approved in 1904, started construction in 1906, and the canal was finally completed and opened for business in 1914. So, the Panama Canal has been accepting ships since 1914, and it is still operated to this day. So, those are the basics you should know that Theodore Roosevelt is the president most responsible for the canal, that it was known as Roosevelt's Canal for many years, that it took almost a decade to build, that it opened in 1914 and the real reason the united states wanted to build the canal was to transport its trips its ships from the east to the west coast much faster that includes naval and trading ships those are the two primary reasons okay so um enjoy this short little biography of teddy it's about three or four minutes long and, and since roosevelt's most responsible for the canal i think it's only natural that you know a little bit more about teddy roosevelt so we're going to sit back, relax, enjoy the short bio of Theodore Roosevelt, and then we'll come back afterwards to discuss the history and how the canal was built.
1: Theodore Roosevelt was born on October 27, 1858. He was a sickly child, and his asthmatic condition left him in bed during his early years. This made him unable to attend the local school, and as a result, he was homeschooled. When he wasn't studying, he was busy with naturalism, ornithology, hunting, and taxidermy, to name just a few. Roosevelt's father didn't cut him any slack because of his lack of health. Rather, he built his son a gym and had him lift weights and box. Gradually, this consistent exercise helped Theodore overcome his physical weakness. In 1876, he was admitted into Harvard College as a freshman. He actually was not an exceptional student and was viewed as eccentric and odd. However, he did rival many of his classmates in physical activities and ended up being runner-up in the Harvard Boxing Championship. Theodore met Alice Hathaway Lee in his junior year at Harvard, and in October of 1880 they were married. The same year he joined the Republican Party, and on November 8th of the next year was elected to the New York State Assembly. He wrote his first published work, The Naval War of 1812, which would establish him as a serious historian. In 1884, his firstborn daughter was born, but tragically, his wife Alice died soon after from Bride's disease, along with his mother on the same day. This devastated Theodore. He postponed further political involvement and withdrew to his ranch in the Badlands of Dakota. It was there that he became a prolific hunter and a deputy sheriff for the county. Not until 1886 did he return to his home in New York City, after a severe winter wiped out his herd of cattle. It was also later during this year that he remarried. He ran as the Republican candidate for mayor of New York City in 1886, portraying himself as the cowboy of the Dakotas, but he lost the race to Abram S. Hewitt, the son-in-law of former presidential candidate Peter Cooper. On May 5, 1895, he became the police commissioner of New York City and earned acclaim by fighting police corruption. He was appointed to the post of Assistant Secretary of the Navy by President William McKinley two years later in 1897. The Spanish-American War broke out during this time. Not being one to avoid the action, he promptly resigned and led a small regiment in Cuba known as the Rough Riders, earning a nomination for the Medal of Honor. After the war, he returned to New York and was elected governor in a closely fought election. Theodore was elected vice president on March 4th of 1901, but he didn't keep that position for long. Six months later, President McKinley was assassinated, and Theodore took the oath of office at age 42. During his presidency, he passed significant laws, such as the Meat Inspection Act of 1906 and the Pure Food and Drug Act. His policies were openly progressive in nature, and he is famous for having coined the phrase square deal, meaning that the average citizen would get a fair share under his policies. His foreign policies were characterized by his slogan, speak softly and carry a big stick. His chapter in life as president came to a close after serving two presidential terms by 1909. Soon after leaving office, he embarked on a safari trip to Africa. He and his friends killed or trapped more than 11,397 animals. They captured a vast variety, ranging from insects and moles to hippopotamuses and elephants. These animals were mounted and sent to the Smithsonian, but because of the huge amount of specimens collected, many were sent to smaller museums. He returned to the U.S. in 1910 and was immediately unimpressed with the policies of his presidential successor, William Howard Taft. As a result, he decided to run for president again but it was denied entry into the race by the Republicans. He then formed his own independent party, the Bull Moose Party. While campaigning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on October 14th of 1912, he was shot by a saloon keeper. He declined medical attention and instead delivered a scheduled speech which lasted 90 minutes. There were three contenders in the election that year, Republican Taft, Roosevelt, and Democrat Woodrow Wilson. While he beat Taft, he lost the election to Wilson. The life of Theodore Roosevelt was a remarkable one, and his accomplishments nothing short of astounding. He was one of the first presidents to fly an airplane, go underwater in a submarine, and have a telephone in his home. And not only was he the first president to be awarded the Nobel Prize, but also the first American. He authored 26 books and contributed over a thousand articles for magazines. He continued to be an avid adventurer, and in 1913 embarked on a major expedition to South America, where he contracted malaria which weakened his health. On January 6, 1919, Theodore Roosevelt passed away in his sleep at the age of 60. It was said that death had to take Roosevelt sleeping, for if he had been awake, there would have been a fight. Although some of his political policies and actions remain the subject of controversy and critique, his incredible courage and stamina, his adventures, and his honest and forthright character and personality still continue to inspire us today.
0: right, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that short biography of the 26th president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt. Now let's get into the history of the canal just a little bit. Um, the idea of putting a canal through the isthmus of Panama was not new to the United States. It had been around for over a century. Um, Cause you remember airplanes don't come till the 20th century and this is the late 1800s. So airplanes are still in the future. So by far the easiest way to get around the world is by ship, and by the late 19th century, where we're at now in 1870s, 1880s. By that time period, you had steamships that were fast, no longer sailing. So the concept of putting a canal through Panama was not just new, and it definitely wasn't just related to the United States. Many European countries were interested in putting a canal through Panama um, that would kind of be like a new Silk Road to the Far East, China, because it would greatly shorten the trip from Europe to China by water which would be a very whoever could build the canal that country can only use it but they could also charge tolls for other countries to use it so therefore it would be a very lucrative deal and so this was nothing new Um, the French earlier in the 19th century in the 1850s the French under a gentleman by the name of Ferdinand de Lesseps had successfully built a canal connecting the red sea to the mediterranean sea and if you know your geography of that part it's in africa it's in this country of egypt the red sea and the mediterranean sea are connected to this day through the suez canal and the french were responsible for building the suez canal so anybody that's ever been to the beach anybody that's ever tried to dig in the sand can notice how frustrating it can be when you dig in the sand, the sand just falls back in. Now, imagine trying to dig a big canal through that without it caving back in on you. So this is not an easy task by any means. But what was easier with the Suez Canal is the terrain was very consistent. In other words, they're putting it through a desert and it's all sand. So once you develop the methods for digging, removing, boxing up the sands the walls don't cave in and doing the canal you're just kind of it's not i'm not saying it's easy but it's you you can just repeat the same practice over and over and over until you have the canal built so uh, it took the french 10 years they started construction in 1859 the suez canal was completed and opened for business in 1869. so in the um, 1880s the french attempted to put a canal through panama so the same people uh, Deliceps, the same French company, came over and started building the Panama Canal. Um, and they estimated it take 10 years to do as well. They ran into a lot of problems with the Panama Canal that was not present at the Suez Canal. The, the first big problems with Panama's Canal is it's, the terrain is much more variant than it was in the deserts of Egypt. There's parts of Panama that are already waters, like lakes and some rivers. There's other parts that are jungles, there's other parts that are swampy. There's other parts that are mountainous. You gotta, and canals can not go over mountains, you gotta go through mountains. So instead of just digging through sand, you had several different engineering difficulties to try to figure out. Secondly, was elevation. Since parts of the mountains, it's um, the desert was pretty flat. So elevation was consistent. And the region of Panama, even though it's a little shorter than the Suez Canal, the elevations changed greatly. So you had to deal with that through what's called locks, basically controlling water. If you just dug a big ditch and connected it, they would, it would flood out most of Panama because the elevation differences. So there was many different engineering difficulties that made the Panama Canal more difficult than the Suez Canal. But the main reason the French failed at building the Panama Canal in the 1880s and early 1890s is disease. A lot of their workers were coming from Haiti, which is a French colony not far away, and they were dying at a very high rate. Um, We now know they weren't sure, but we now know the reason for that is malaria, and malaria is carried by mosquitoes, and that area was infested with mosquitoes. So people were getting bit by mosquitoes and dying, and the work labor force shriveled up. So by the early 1890s, 10 years in, France just pulled the plug. They literally just left the equipment in the jungles of Panama and went back to france and there it sat for over a decade until teddy roosevelt comes along in the early 20th century to try to rekindle the panama canal all right let's take our last break when we come back we'll talk about how teddy got the camp, the panama canal complete and built while the french failed we'll go over that which um, set the united states up to be one of the leading powers of the 20th century in 1900s so enjoy this music selection it's aptly titled panama we'll be right back welcome back to the last segment of the building of the panama canal i hope you enjoyed that little musical selection that was panama by the 80s rock group van halen so you missed the 80s but i I decided to bring a little bit of the 80s back to you so i hope you enjoyed that for this last segment we're going to focus on how the united states got the panama canal built and um, as i already told you the 26th president of the united states made it his mission to get the canal built so once he's president what theodore roosevelt does is he signs a treaty with the colombian president colombia is a country in south america okay and today it borders panama so panama is the southernmost country in central america and when it touches south america is colombia so colombia is on the northwest corner of south america at this time period Panama was a district of Colombia. Panama was part of Colombia. It was not an independent nation. So, Teddy Roosevelt signs a treaty with the Colombian president to grant access through what they call the Canal Zone, which is in Panama, which at that time was part of the country of Colombia. And now, um, for treaties to be realized, they have to be approved or ratified by the Senate. Where the U.S. Senate ratifies it, but in Colombia, the Colombian Senate Senate rejects it. They do not approve the treaty. Does this sound kind of familiar? Colombia has a president this time, a Senate this time. Yeah, Madison's you copy Madison's U.S. Constitution has been copied over two hundred times throughout the world since the 1780s, and at this time, Panama used Madison's as a rough draft and made changes to it. So a very similar system of government at this time period in Colombia. So the reason the Colombian Cong- Congress, the reason the Senate in Colombia reject it is they just don't see how the United States is going to be successful where the French had already failed attempt. And they're not keen on giving another foreign nation access to their country to build this canal zone. And they simply don't think they're going to do any better job than what the French did you know, 15, 20 years earlier. So once the Colombian Senate rejects the canal treaty, here's Roosevelt's response. It's an analogy. Roosevelt says, "quote Trying to get the canal built is like nailing jelly to the wall, and it's no fault of the nail." End quote. What does he mean by that? What do you, in his analogy, uh, jelly is the Colombian Senate. And the nail is the U.S. government trying to build the canal. He said trying to work with them is like nailing jelly to the wall. So when you get home today, if you take jelly out of your fridge, put it on the wall, and nail it up and see if it stays. And obviously it's going to drip to the floor. But Roosevelt would say that's the fault of the jelly, not the nail what he's really saying is an insignificant country like Colombia should not hold up the progress of the rest of the world including the united states so um, roosevelt being a student of history himself here's what he knows he knows that the panamanians who are part of columbia at this time don't really like that they, they would like independence so what roosevelt does is he sends the great white fleet united states navy down to patrol off the coast of Panama and Colombia. And he lets word be known in Panama that if you rise up now and revolt against Colombia, you would have the protection of the Great White Fleet, the United States Navy. So with that, the Panamanians start a revolution, but it's a bloodless revolution because the Colombians let them go without a fight. So within hours, Roosevelt recognizes Panama as a separate nation and then he signs the exact same treaty with the new Panamanian government and Roosevelt gets his canal. So to make a long story short, Theodore Roosevelt started a revolution and a a rebellion revolution in a foreign country to get the Panama Canal. Many people in Europe, many European powers are aghast by this, uh, just taken back like this is barbarian brute force. Uh, People in the Caribbean, people in Central America, South America, uh, Latin America, all over Latin America, cannot believe the United States is is acting this way, being this aggressive. In fact, there are people alive today, 2021, who do not like Americans over this act. They just think it was a complete act of aggression and disrespect for smaller, weaker countries' opinions. Uh, You know what Roosevelt says about it? Quote, I would rather build the canal today and have them discuss me for 50 years rather than discuss it for 50 years and then build the canal, end quote. So what Roosevelt is saying is he believes the canal is of vital importance to not just American but to world history and that a country like Columbia should not hold up the progress. So he's saying I'll do whatever is necessary to get the canal done and then you can discuss me whether you agree or disagree. So uh, Roosevelt's not very apologetic for his foreign diplomacy is what we're talking here. Okay, um, So this all this diplomacy, uh, Roosevelt calls it big stick diplomacy, and that's the name that sticks. And Roosevelt's big stick is his great white fleet or the U.S. Navy. So what big stick diplomacy is, is basically have a show of force in this case is navy but don't use it only use it as a last resort so let people know that you have a strong military and you will use it if needed but you're open to negotiations before so carry a big stick and speak softly was the slogan and and roosevelt's big stick was the u.s navy and the uh, speak softly means negotiate first. Don't just come in dropping bombs, attacking people. So according to Roosevelt, he tried to work with the Colombian government. It didn't work. So then he was forced to use his stick and got his way. Um, very aggressive, absolutely. And there's places in the country, in the world today, who resent the United States over acts such as these. Okay. So as far as the canal goes, once it was opened in 1914, we not only built an it, we also operated it. We, we signed a, I think a 100-year lease for the canal zone. So the United States operated it, which means controlled the Panama Canal, collected tolls and fees, so it was a moneymaker as well. And then in 1977, President Jimmy Carter, Carter, the only president from Georgia, signed a treaty with Panama that gradually turned control of the canal back over to the panamanian government and the united states withdrew all of its control of panama on december 31st 1999 so panama since january 1st 2000 has been in complete control of the panama canal so the united states built it united states operated and maintained some form or fashion from 1914 till 2000 for 86 years in the last 21 years Panama controls the Panama Canal. All right, so I hope you got something out of how the history of the Panama Canal, how it was built, and the impact that it had in the 20th century. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Be sure to hit that like button, ring that bell, and make sure you're subscribed to Mr. Cornwell's Corner so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time on Mr. Cornwell's Corner.